0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com.
1: You know, if you really think about it, we've gone from the smallest government in world history to the largest government in world history in a shockingly short amount of time. And during this short time, we've seen individual freedom and civil liberties decimated in the wake of the state's never ending quest for more and more control. Democrats, Republicans, both are to blame. This show isn't about picking sides. It's about returning power to its rightful owner, the individual. Welcome to Freedom Strips on the We Are Libertarians Network. Well, welcome back to a brand new episode of Freedom Strips. Uh, Happy to see you again. And I'm happy to introduce my, uh, my interview for today, which is going to be the vice presidential candidate of the Libertarian Party, Spike Cohen. Now, I had Joe Jorgensen on last week. And I've got Spike this week, so I've got like a, a home run for the for these two <laughs> weeks here. Um, but Spike, uh, for the listeners, for those who don't know you, um, introduce yourself and kind of give them the background of how you became a libertarian and, and why you're running or you, why you ran for v- uh, vice president uh, of the United States.
0: Sure. Thank you, Keaton. And thanks for having me on. Folks, thanks for tuning in and watching. Uh, for those who don't know, I am Spike Cohen. I am the... Libertarian Party vice presidential candidate, like Keaton was just saying. And uh, for those who don't know my background, I'm a business owner. I started a web design company back in 1999 when I was a teenager. And uh, three years ago, I decided to retire from that so that I could focus full-time on my real passion, which was spreading the message of liberty to a public who hasn't often heard of our ideas, ideas like self-ownership and non-aggression and uh, voluntary solutions and decentralization and so forth. Uh, And so to that end, I became the host of My Fellow Americans, the co-host of the Muddy Waters of Freedom, and the co-owner of Muddy Waters Media. Uh, And we have, for the past few years, we have spent Uh, growing our reach and reaching outside of liberty circles to give them a libertarian message in an entertaining way that they would have otherwise probably not heard and uh, i parlayed that uh, last year last december i decided to run for the vice presidential nomination for the libertarian party uh, using what i have learned both from muddy waters media and also from nearly 20 years of uh, uh, leadership and communication skills with my uh, running starting and running and operating a successful business Uh, to applying that to how to do outreach for liberty for the general public, to change that cultural conversation that we're having in this country away from ever-growing government, ever-larger government interventions in our lives, and for us having less and less control of our own lives and towards the message that we want to move it towards, which is people having more freedom and more liberty and government being smaller and having less say in our lives and how our lives would be better as a result of that. And uh, and that's how uh, that's how I got here. Uh, I think you also asked um, how I became a libertarian. Uh, I actually started off. I was a neocon um, back in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s. I was one of those post 9-11 neocons who just totally bought into the media lie that, you know, that we needed to spread democracy around the world and that you know the reason we were attacked was because the terrorists hated us for our freedoms and the whole I mean I was the stereotypical across the board neocon when I heard Ron Paul talking about things like blowback And saying that 9-11 was a a understandable, a terrible and horrific, but understandable reaction to the actions that the U.S. uh, government was taking in other countries. And that, you know, there would be more blowback like this, more completely preventable and regrettable blowback just like this if we didn't stop our actions. Uh, I've said this person is a scumbag and they, you know, they hate America and they want the terrorists to win and the whole thing. Uh, And then every year it just started making more sense. The longer it went on, the more the things that I said turned out to not line up with reality and the things people like Ron and other non interventionists and other libertarians were saying Made more and more sense. And so it took me eating a little bit of humble pie and then looking into what they had to say about things. And uh, that started my transition away from being a neocon and over time becoming more of kind of a conservative, paleocon, constitutionalist, minarchist eventually to where I am now, being a, a principled down-the-board libertarian. And uh, it is a it is a quite a process, and it's it's one that I'm grateful to have made, and I'm now working to bring people into to the fold using uh, an engaging and empathetic and dynamic way of reaching people.
1: Yeah. Well, you sound a lot like uh, the path that I'm going down. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I started, I started as a, as a Republican. I, I never really paid that much attention to politics. I was very much on the kind of pro war side of things just as you right. were. Um, but really what kind of started shaking up my way of viewing things was the, obviously the 2016 presidential, um, race with Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. I was like, there's no way that these two are like the, the two people that we can choose from. <laughs> right. And so I started to look more into, um, the libertarian party and Gary Johnson right. and different things, um, you know, third party options. And, and so I became to, uh, to kind of explore the libertarian party a little bit more. And I was like, wow, these guys are actually making a lot of sense. I agree with a lot of what they're saying. Like, why haven't right. I heard of these guys before? So that's very interesting that you are kind of, you already went down the path that I'm starting to go down. Now I'm kind of a baby libertarian. If you could, uh, if you could put a tag on it, yeah, but you're,
0: you're, you're about 10 years behind me. Yeah, uh, but I think how also, how old are you?
1: I'm 28 or 29. Okay, so I just turned 29. Yeah. Okay.
0: I'm going to, I'm going to be 20. I'm going to be 38 uh, at the end of this month. So you are literally 10 years. You are pretty much to the day and month taking the exact same path I did at my, at, at, at your point at my age. So, um, you know, we all get there, we all get here in different ways, which is why I tell people, and I will probably talk about this more later, but This is why I tell people, when you're talking to non-libertarians, or especially to people who are coming into libertarianism, who still aren't 100% behind every single facet of the libertarian thought and ethos and philosophy, be kind. Because A, if you're not kind, you're probably going to turn them off from it, and they're going to be, uh, not only will they not support uh, libertarianism, but they'll actually be actively against it, because they'll have a bad taste in their mouth. Uh, But also... We all got here, or almost all of us got here from somewhere else. We used to be conservatives, or we used to be progressives, or we used to be kind of centrists who didn't really have a political belief. Very few of us have always been principled philosophical libertarians. And so when we're having these discussions with people, we need to remember that. And we need to think for a moment, one of the filters I use when I'm getting you know, worked up in, a, in an argument or debate, I think, pretend that you're talking to Spike back when he was a neocon. <laughs> what would that spike want to hear? How would they like to be treated? How would you like to be treated if someone's trying to you know get you onto you know their side of way of thinking? And uh, that's a, that's one of the f- ones I use, and it's an incredible way. But we do need to remember we're all on a journey here. and and I know people don't like hearing this, but what you think in this moment, there's a good chance three years from now you'll be at least a little bit different in terms of what you think. So be humble and be kind when you're talking to people.
1: Yeah. My, my, my views and beliefs have gone on a roller coaster since I've stepped into the, uh, the libertarian pool of thought. So, yep. uh, you know, things that I held, uh, very close to the heart. I was, I was very like, um, you know, uh, kind of pro-militaristic in the way of like hey we got to keep people safe and and you know <laughs> if if that's the way that you know every problem needs to look like a nail and you got a big hammer then so be it so yeah. uh, you know those types of thoughts have just done a complete 180 and mm-hmm. um you know I'm going through the the line of things but that's a very interesting uh, story how I'm <laughs> going through your line of uh of steps going into libertarianism, but we all have a journey. Yeah. 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 But to get back on track here, I, I want to talk to you about, um, your kind of run for, for vice president here a little bit. I know that you ran, um, with the Vermin Supreme campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you were picked and voted as the vice presidential candidate, did you and Joe Jorgensen have any, did you converse at all, uh, beforehand? Did you to know each other or talk before, or you, To still trying to build a relationship as this uh, campaign is going on.
0: Oh yeah, we we've talked before. We've met a few times at the different conventions and things like that. I didn't really know her prior to when I first met her at the South Carolina convention in last November. Uh, But we've talked a few times, and we we always got along. We never had any bad words for each other or anything like that. Um, And the thing is, you know, we always when Vermin and I were running, it was always with the idea that. One of us could get the nomination and the other one could not. That was always a, a, a reality that we faced. And we always said if one of us only if only one of us got it and the other one did not, then whichever one of us did got did get it would happily and 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 humbly serve the delegates in the party. Uh, and, and use it to spread the message of Liberty and whichever one of us uh, did not get it would happily uh, endorse that and support that, whatever that ticket ended up looking like. And we're very grateful that, um, Joe and I are very grateful that Vermin is you know, campaigning and out there helping to support this ticket and continue to bring people to the Libertarian party. Um, so we've always got along well. And in terms of our policies or our, our actual beliefs, this is a very interesting fusion ticket because Joe and I on the actual policies agree about as close to a hundred percent as any two libertarians can agree on anything. And you I, I assume you've been a libertarian long enough to know it's hard to get libertarians to agree to anything. Yes. So we but we, we agree. I mean, if you look at the policies, especially the major ones, non interventionism and free market in healthcare and education and you know, getting rid of the ATF, getting rid of the IRS, getting rid of the war on drugs, uh, ending police brutality and so forth. We're 100 percent together on that. There's 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 no uh, any kind of disagreement, even on the even on the margins about those types of things. Uh, and we have different types of presentation. So I think the delegates chose very wisely because you have Joe, who is, you know, someone who uh, is a very wise and you know, very self uh, accomplished and self made uh, someone who's a senior lecturer, so she's really great at breaking down complex ideas in a way that people can understand and to you know break that down to an audience that often doesn't follow politics, they're not political nerds like us. Uh, but they you know and she's able to do that and she's able to present in a way for those who are looking for a return to normalcy and a return of decency to to politics and so forth and so for you know she has a great way of presenting to to that that group of people and and I think I have some play there as well but then I I'm also younger and kind of more in tune with meme culture and the internet culture and so forth so I'm able to do a little bit more edgier which style is a it's a, that's
1: being. a huge tool by the way that's oh, that's it's no amazing. small yeah. tool yeah
0: <laughs> and it's Especially where the mainstream media is going to try their best to shut us out, it is crucial that we be able to operate in these kinds of internet, you know, kind of edgy spaces. And so I provide that ability to do that. So we have a really great synergy and, and, and complement to each other's styles and affect to be able to really, uh, you know, push our message far and wide. When all is said and done. We will not have left any chips on the table. Anyone who is able to be reachable, which I believe ultimately is anyone in this cycle, everyone will have had an opportunity to hear our message in a way that is agreeable to them, not just in their spaces, but from their precepts and the way that they would prefer to, to hear a message. So I think it's a fantastic ticket. Uh, I've been excited since I got nominated. And uh, I think the the Libertarian Party is going to have a great year this year.
1: Yeah, I do too. I, I feel like the ticket's very strong with you and Joe Jorgensen. I I, th- I, I feel like uh, you've got a strong presence. I I feel the I felt the exact way that you kind of expressed how jo- uh, Joe Jorgensen can handle things, and then you've got the the way of kind of breaking down specific topics that is uh, very kind of. Um, Laid back in a way. Like I, I enjoy your videos that you post on Facebook on, on topics like qualified immunity yeah, and, and, yeah, yeah. and different things like a breakdown for like the common man. Right. You may mm-hmm. not know about qualified immunity. Well, let me explain it to you and let me tell you why this needs to go away. Right, um, right, right. So uh, I, I did want to talk to you about um, qualified immunity. For for the listeners who, who may not have seen these videos or who may not know what qualified immunity is and the push to have it removed, can you kind of break that down for the listeners and, and explain why this is such an important movement?
0: Well, the short answer, if I, I only had 15 seconds to explain what qualified immunity is, imagine if you walked into court and you were charged with murder and you said, Your Honor, I know I've been charged with murder, but I think what I did was perfectly reasonable. And the judge said, "Well, if you think it's reasonable, then I'm dropping the charges. That's qualified immunity in a nutshell. Here's a little bit more of a detailed breakdown. The way the Civil Rights Act of 1871, I believe it was, was written, it says that if law enforcement or a government official or anyone in government at any level of government infringes upon your constitutional rights and your human rights, then you have an ability or you or your survivors, if they kill you, have the ability to sue those individual government officials and politicians and officers whose conduct and actions resulted in your rights being violated. So you can sue them directly. Now, in the 1950s and 60s, you started seeing a huge upswing in particularly police officers, but government officials infringing upon the rights of the people. And the reason for that was because they were brutalizing the the civil rights protesters. So people were coming down. They were, you know, people in the South and I live in South Carolina. So this was ground zero for the civil rights stuff. And so you had people, both people that lived here and people from other parts of the country and they were here and they were protesting for their rights and the police were absolutely brutal to them. And, uh, similar to what we're seeing now with, you know, how the police are treating some of these protesters. Mm -hmm. Um, and so in order to basically protect them from getting sued, the Supreme Court started creating doctrine out of thin air called qualified immunity, and it has gotten worse over time. But the, the basics of qualified immunity are: well, if the official or the police officer or the you know whoever it is in government that's being sued, uh, if they uh, if they determine for themselves that what they did was reasonable as part of the course of their 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 duties during that time, then they can't be sued for it. And it's gotten even worse over time. They have added more and more protections to this idea of qualified immunity. And the most recent protection they added was in 2001, where they concluded where the Supreme Court said that not only so not only can you be held or can you not be held liable if you decide that it's reasonable, but even if the courts override you and say you couldn't have possibly thought that was reasonable, like, for example, murdering someone. Uh, or just brutalizing someone, even if you couldn't have possibly thought it was reasonable, unless that exact same thing has already happened in your exact same jurisdiction and has been ruled by the courts to have been a violation of their rights and to not be eligible for qualified immunity, unless that precedent has already been set, you still have qualified immunity. So for example, there were some police officers in Tennessee who uh, they had someone who was who had surrendered, and they they sicked their their canine officer on him, and he was brutally mauled by the by the by the dog. And even though he had already surrendered, the courts determined that they had qualified immunity, even though an exact same case had happened in that exact same jurisdiction, because in the first case the suspect was lying down on his side, and in this case the suspect was sitting upright. We had another situation where police, o- where uh, corrections officers uh, decided to pepper spray a uh, a, uh, a convict, someone that was in their cell, in their lock cell, for no reason. They just felt like doing it, and the courts determined that they had qualified immunity because in a previous case, the corrections officers used a taser instead of pepper spray. This system of qualified immunity has allowed government officials, police officers, medical officials, people in the government to run roughshod over you whenever they see fit. So not only does it incentivize bad policing, it also punishes good policing. Because Mm. the the police officers, you know, we always talk about the cops that stand there and allow the bad cops to do what they do. Mm -hmm. It's because they can get in trouble. There's nothing that is going to happen to that officer that's going to make them get in trouble. And, so what, and then what happens with the police departments is they're looking at it as a, as a cost-benefit analysis. When they're faced with having an abusive cop on the payroll, they say, well, it's not costing us much to keep the cop on the payroll because they keep getting qualified immunity, so it's not costing us much and they can't get sued for it. But if we try to fire them, we're going to have to go after the police unions. We're going to have to spend all this money Mm. to get them fired and lawsuits and everything else. We'll just keep them on the payroll or we'll just ask them to resign, uh, you know, quietly and we won't punish them. And then they can go get a job somewhere else doing the exact same thing. It incentivizes bad policing and punishes good policing. Ending qualified immunity puts the power back where it belongs in the hands of you, the people. I in fact in your in your opening uh your opening intro, you mentioned that, you know, putting power power back where it belongs. Qualified immunity does exactly that. It puts the power back in your hands. It makes it so that these bad officers know that if they get in trouble, that if they if they violate your rights, They can be held directly and personally accountable for it. And it lets the good officers know that they now can stop the bad cops because those bad cops will get punished for it. And the good cops, if they do sit back and allow it to happen, they can get sued too. So it puts the power back where it belongs. We fully support Libertarian Congressman Justin Amash's push uh, to end qualified immunity. We think the rest of these proposals that have been put forward by Donald Trump and the Democrats in Congress and everyone else, it's lipstick on a pig. You're talking about training programs. (laughs) Bad cops don't need training to not murder people. They need to be held accountable if they do, and they need that to be in place as a deterrent to stop them from ever doing it in the first place.
1: Right! Wow, it's just—it's unbelievable. It's one of those things where you start to dive in. You, 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 you say. There's no way that that's how that works, right? Exactly. It's, exactly. There's there's no way that, that that couldn't
0: possibly be that bad. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly.
1: Yep. There's there's no way it could be that bad. There's no way it could possibly work like that. Like one of the one of the things that I felt that way about whenever I first started researching it was the Federal Reserve. I was like, there's yes. no way that the Federal Reserve can be this like quasi private institution mm-hmm. that has no accountability or oversight by the government, but has the the head of the federal reserve appointed by the president by the government and prints all of the money for the government it's just one of those things that you're just like I, I can't believe that this is how this works.
0: There is no way that the federal government has a private banking company that does nothing but print out endless reams of money that they use for two purposes: one, to hand off to big business and uh, and uh, you know big business and banks and Wall Street and everything else; and two, to lend it to the Federal Reserve in endless amounts in the form of buying treasury bonds, which then the rest of us have to pay off with interest over the course of 40 years so that every day when new debts are taken out, that is new debt that we, our children, and our children's children will have to pay off. There is no way that they are insidiously sapping from us with interest, without our approval or a cent, and not only doing that, there's no way that by printing out that money and inflating the money supply, hmm. uh, you know, without adding any corresponding value that they are deriding the value of our currency every single day and making the cost of living steadily go up so that since 1913, our dollar is now worth two cents on the dollar as it was 107 years ago when the Federal Reserve was created. There is no way that this system has been created to allow for the creation of an endless sprawling empire both here and abroad because if they didn't have that in place, they'd know that we would have never agreed to tax increases, to pay for endless wars around the world, to pay to put tens of millions of people in cages for engaging in victimless commerce and then forcing them to do slave uh, labor for free prison labor, which is contracted out by third party private contractors who make billions of dollars and are so lucrative that they're actually listed on wall street there is no way that that's how our system is run but that's exactly what it is
1: but it is yeah it
0: is it is mind-blowing when you know this stuff
1: yeah and it's it's actually so interesting about the the slave labor in the prisons because you know you think about slavery well slavery was abolished right Mm -hmm. But actually, if you go back and you read, they actually have a line Mm -hmm. where slavery, slavery, yes, is abolished unless you're thrown into prison. (laughs) (laughs) There's literally a clause there.
0: The 13th Amendment ended chattel slavery for the private sector. Right. And it mandated and or I should say it legalized uh, chattel slavery for government. At all levels, not just the federal government, the state government, the city government. And you now have a situation where most states have a minimum quota, a minimum number of you, the people that have to be in prison at any given time. And in in many states, they not only have a minimum number of you that have to be in prison, they have a minimum amount of increase every year of you that have to be in prison. Why? Why? Because they have contracts with for-profit contractors that they have to pay off the balance of what they would have made in profit if they didn't have those people in prison. And so they create laws that they that they have to sell as being for your safety and for the mm-hmm. public good and to keep our streets safe. And we're seeing firsthand, it doesn't keep us safe. It does the opposite. It makes us less safe. But they don't care about that because the reason they're doing it is because the cronies who put them in office by filling their war offers so that they could get elected Are the ones who got them in there so that they could continue making billions of dollars a year on this kind of crony garbage that doesn't not only doesn't benefit us, but it harms us, it puts us in a literal cage and makes us into slaves at their behest simply so they can use our labor and and profit from it. It is the most insidious way, the most cynical way of looking at how to interact with other people. And this, you know, speaks to the libertarian ethos about why aggression is bad, why these centrally planned, arbitrarily defined and crony friendly ways of doing things outside of the market through coercion and force of a monopoly of violence is going to lead to the very harmful, abusive and inequitable outcomes that we see every single day. Of course, it would lead to that. It's not because these are Uniquely bad people. It's because the very structure that they are using, that the Democrats and Republicans have set up with their exclusive control of every lever of government for the past 150 plus years, it would naturally lead to that. Of course, mm. it would lead to that. And that's why we have to dismantle it.
1: Right. Which is exactly what the war on drugs really is. I mean, it's the engine that runs that whole system. Exactly. I, I mean, you throwing. Thousands and thousands of people in cages for victimless crimes, for really? for the for the crime of having the wrong flower in your pocket or for or for uh, in, in engaging in the wrong substance at the wrong time or, yep. or, you know, being with the wrong people at the wrong time
0: or doing it without a license. We just saw right. in some states where marijuana dispensaries were labeled an essential service, while at the same time, people who sold marijuana are in prison in some cases for the rest of their life because they didn't do it legally. They couldn't afford the licensing and compliance costs. They did it before those laws were introduced. How imagine right now, and and someone watching this, this may very well be the case. Imagine having a loved one in prison that you may never see again for doing something that is not only legal right now, but is considered an essential business. That is what the war on drugs is. How Mm. dare you? compete with big pharma. Yeah, That's the war on drugs. How dare you not want to do free prison labor for a for-profit contractor that we have a contract with through the state government? How dare you want to be free? That's what the, the war on drugs is a war on people. And it is primarily mm-hmm. a war on mm-hmm. people of color and other marginalized communities, but it is a war on people. And if you aren't in a position of power, that war is being waged on you and on your community.
1: See these are the types of the ideas that really get me excited about the libertarian party push to yes. affect more change. Mm-hmm. And 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 with that I kind of want to go to a CNN article right here that I've got pulled up. It says that the Biden campaign has agreed to three debates with Trump and they slammed the push for more debates as a distraction. So <laughs> go figure that more than three more more than 3 <sighs> debates is a distraction. Yeah, fourth
0: debate is a distraction. <laughs> debate perfectly fine. Fourth debate total distraction.
1: Right. It says uh, Joe Biden's campaign said on Monday that the former vice president will participate in three previously announced fall debates with President Donald Trump, and continued to criticize the Trump campaign push for additional debates in a letter to the Commission on Presidential Debates obtained by CNN and the and first reported by the Washington Post. Biden campaign manager Jen O'Malley Dillon said Biden will face off with Trump on those debates already planned on September twenty October 15th and October 22nd, a vice presidential debate will be held on October the 7th. Now, Spike, what, what can we do and how can we get a third party, the libertarian party, presidential candidate, Mm -hmm. Joe Jorgensen and you, Spike Cohen on the debate stage. This is so important to, to kind of destroy this duopoly of the two major parties.
0: It is crucial because if we get on that debate stage, having an accomplished, brilliant, articulate woman like Joe Jorgensen in between those two buffoons. <laughs> Not only are buffoons who have credible rape accusations against both of them and who mm-hmm. have footage of, you know, Donald Trump uh, bragging about his, his the way he abuses women and Joe Biden, I mean, those videos uh, of God. him essentially molesting children in front of their it's parents infuriating. while they're just like yeah. frozen with fear. Mm-hmm. And imagine, I mean, that's what he does in public. I mean, right. these are two scummy, scummy people. But not only that, they're not just scummy people personally. They are 100% part and parcel behind every single bad problem we're facing right now. They've either cheerlead it or uh, executed it or voted for it or co-authored it or co-sponsored it at every single level. They and their parties have created this. So it is crucial. It is. It, it would be absolutely amazing to get us on that debate stage. I think once we're on that debate stage, the elections is ours to lose at that point. Because I mm-hmm. think the people will see that the emperor has no clothes and that the Republicans and Democrats and this whole idea of, oh, you have to vote for one or you're going to get the other. you can't vote for third party or else, you know, you're throwing your vote away. That'll all be gone. People will realize there's only real via- one viable option, and that's Joe Jorgensen. And uh, so in order let's talk about what we actually need to do to qualify. Right. So you have in order for us to qualify. Uh, on the debate stage, uh, we have to get 15% or more in five reputable polls. So, like Gallup, New York Times, Emerson, Fox—you know, any of these these uh, opinion polls—and these are the the what they call so-called scientific polls, the randomly selected polls where they call people and say, "We're with X polling organization, and we want uh, you know to know uh, you know who you're voting for." The short answer is, if you get a call. Say you're voting for us and encourage those around you if they if they want. And this is part of our push that we are that we're putting between now and then that even if you're not 100 percent sure that you're going to vote for us because you're worried that Biden that that will lead Biden to win or that it will lead Trump to win. Even if you're not 100 percent behind it or you're scared to commit to actually voting for us, just commit to saying you will vote for us just so that you'll have another viable option to watch on that debate stage. Um, And to that end, we're working on, you know, big new media interviews. We're working on mainstream media interviews. We're working on a Reddit AMA where we'll be in front of 20 million people. Uh, We're going to be doing quite a bit. We have until Labor Day uh, to uh, or I think just after Labor Day uh, to be able to qualify for those polls. And uh, I believe that will, you know, um, Gary and Bill got Back in 2016, Gary Johnson and Bill Weld, they got 13% on one poll and 11% on another. So they came within throwing distance of, of getting 15%. I am confident we'll be able to get 15%. And so what you guys can do at home, if you get called by someone, say you're voting for us. If they don't put our name on there, demand to have our name on there and say you're voting for us. Joe Jorgensen and Spike Cohen. Uh, encourage your friends and loved ones to do sh- so uh go to uh 2020com uh, go to our social media follow us on all of our social media share our content get the word out there uh, join your, your local Libertarian party and get, you know, take part in doing door knocking and phone calling and phone banking and everything else. Uh, this is a grassroots campaign. Uh, we are doing things from the top, but it's also it's going to be the local people that help drive it home. And uh, we just need to get our names and our message in front of as many people as possible, as quickly as possible, so that we can uh, not just change the conversation, but also get uh, qualify for that debate and get in, in front of people's faces and move the needle of the conversation away from the Republican-Democrat argument between which type of statism we want to move towards and towards the libertarian argument, uh, the libertarian conversation about dismantling all of that so we can live freer and happier lives.
1: I totally agree with all of that. And so, uh, everybody, we're going to end it right there. But be sure to visit, what is it, J, Joe J 2020com Joe
0: J. Excuse me. Joe J. 2020. So JOJ2020.com. And you can sign up to be one of our volunteers. Uh, You can read more about us. uh, And there's also a donate button. And if you're able to give, we would appreciate any donation you can make.
1: Well, everyone, this has been uh, Spike Cohen. Spike, thank you for coming on Freedom Strips. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to see if we can get you on uh, again at a later time. Oh, but, but if not, yeah. we'll be uh, we'll be sure to follow you and your success with uh, Joe Jorgensen. So, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you on the next episode of Freedom Strips. See you.